Part of the Rewatching Good Television Podcast Network. It's the Sorkin Cast. Here's your host, Matthew Murdick. Hey there, and welcome to the Sorkin Cast, or if you've returned, welcome back to the Sorkin Cast. It's episode 49 of the podcast, where this week we are covering the season finale of season two of West Wing. That's season two, episode 22, entitled Two Cathedrals. My name is Matt Murdick, and I am from SorkinCast.wordpress.com. That's where you can find all of the back episodes of the podcast. You can find contact links. You can find podcatcher links. And if you could take the time to follow those podcatcher links to whatever podcatcher app you use, really, and leave me a written review on that podcatcher app, I would very much appreciate it. It helps me stay more noticeable among the other podcasts that are kind of covering similar material. And it also helps me know what you like and dislike about the show, so that if enough of you really dislike something, then I can change that. Or if a lot of you like something that I don't do not very often, then I can make sure to include that more often. Uh, that's how your your written reviews are very helpful to me, and I'd very much appreciate it. And if you do so in the next 24 hours, uh, again, by July 12th, 2016, wherever you are in the world, then I will be sure to read your review as well in our feedback podcast, which will come out next Sunday. And that deadline, July 12th, 2016, this coming Tuesday, is your very last chance to get in any thoughts about Season 2 of The West Wing. That includes your submissions for the Season 2 West Wing Awards. I'd love it if you'd take the time to contact me and submit your favorite and least favorite episode, your favorite and least favorite scene, your favorite and least favorite main character, and your favorite and least favorite guest star, and we'll include those in the feedback podcast coming up this next Sunday as well. How do you submit all of that? Any thoughts that you have or whatever? Well, that's a good question. Here's my answer to you. Sorkincast at gmail.com is the way you send an email. Or you can call 314-669-1840 and leave a voicemail. Or you can tweet at Sorkincast with any of your thoughts. And again, just a, probably most people get this on Monday morning. So you're looking probably most likely at just 24 hours to get your submissions and all of your thoughts into me. But I would really appreciate them and I will include them if you get them in in time. Wow. Uh, I think that's enough about the podcast, so let's get into talking about this episode. It is, again, Season 2, Episode 22, Two Cathedrals, written by Aaron Sorkin, directed by Thomas Shlamy, aired first time on May sixteenth, two 2001, and was viewed by an estimated 20.7 million viewers. Geos.tv, that's the Global Episode Opinion Survey, they rank this episode first out of 158 possible episodes, the very best. I'm not sure that I quite agree with that completely, but I uh, definitely would have it, I would say probably in my top five, at least very, very least top 10. So uh, I do like this episode. It just seems really, really dark at some points. Um, And season two is a phenomenal season. There are so many great episodes in season two for me that it's really hard to parse out which ones are my favorite and my my grading scale gets a little fuzzy because I throw out a lot of nines in the season two Um, but 
uh, yeah, I, I definitely could see how it could be first out of 158 for many because um, you've had all of this darkness and everything, and it's just right at the last second that there seems to be a ray of hope at the end of it all. Oh, and here is your episode summary. Despite the upcoming interview to reveal the MS, the president must also deal with the situation in Haiti, a rare May tropical storm, and the funeral of his friend and assistant, Dolores Lanningham. Meanwhile, as the president deals with all of this, the rest of the staff is left to await the decision regarding a run for re-election. Um, but anyway, uh, speaking of darkness, um, we won't have any humorous quotes this week. I really just couldn't find that much in the way of humor in this episode, save for some of the Dolores and Bartlett flashbacks. And I really kind of wanted to keep those as much intact as possible. But we will have a walk and talk because every episode, it seems like people are walking around throughout the offices or the hallways and talking about one thing or another. And this week is no exception. Uh, unfortunately, there weren't very many funny ones to talk about uh, in terms of uh, or adding any kind of lightness to this pretty dark episode, like I said, right up until the end. Um, so I chose the one that seemed thematically more perfect uh, for the entire episode, and that is when Bartlett and Charlie are talking about storms and pallbearers, and here's that. They've been in there 48 hours. Yes, sir. The guy's been president of his country for two days. He's been in both at gunpoint. Yeah. What do you know about this storm? The one... It's moving from Florida to South Carolina. Yeah, it's supposed to be bad. It's a tropical storm. Yes, sir. No, I mean it's been designated a tropical storm. That means it has a surface wind speed or something. Yes, sir. Isn't it strange to have a tropical storm in May? I'm not certain. I'm pretty sure there's a season, and this isn't it. I can have someone find out for you, Mr. President. I mean, it's not a big deal. It's just that I'm pretty sure it's strange. The motorcade will leave for the cathedral in an hour. You ever been to National Cathedral? Yes, sir. You know you can lay the Washington Monument down on its side in that church? I did, actually. We should try it. You only have two meetings between now and then. Is there anything else you need, sir? I need pallbearers. Yes, sir. Yes, yeah, so, you know, thematically, there it is. Laying the Washington Monument down on its side is, is Bartlett's defiance against God. And you have, of course, the, the brewing of, quote-unquote, the perfect storm. Um, that whole perfect storm metaphor is kind of started here. Uh, that kind of goes through the episode, which is really kind of the culmination of what the last few episodes have been is all of these, uh, bad things happening all at the same time. And, and it seems like it's just unsurmountable. And, uh, we have to see, of course, really technically we have to see into season three to see how it all gets resolved, but at least we do get the ray of hope at the end of this episode, uh, for all of this darkness that is, uh, literally a cloud over the white house at the moment. And I suppose with that, we can move right on to clip one and start talking about this episode. And in clip one, as the Democratic Party leaders are told about the MS, Leo hears complaints. Sam and Toby talk about the president. CJ tells Josh to calm down on tobacco litigation. And Sam hears from strategists. Then, while CJ begins to leak the MS story to certain members of the press... The president gets a briefing from Nancy McNally regarding Haiti and begins to remember his first experiences with Dolores Lanningham before they head for Dolores' funeral. And I don't like being the first one to say it, but I'm gonna. 
I think the president has got to strongly consider not running for re-election. You think you're the first one to say it? Leo. You are, at minimum, the 35th in the last two hours. Well, we're the ones that are talking to you now. And we're the ones that are asking. Is the president going to run for re-election? They don't light from outside the window. I don't care. Look, Toby, has anyone considered whether or not he's up for this? Up for this? I think we should consider taking a There aren't any options left. We're going on TV at 8. Toby. Yeah. I'm sorry, but I had to put Greg Summerhays back on your schedule. No, I took him off. Leo's office had me put him back on. Why? They want you to keep the appointment. The tobacco and Warren and Rossiter, who do not. We lost two Democrats? They have ideological objections. Yeah, it's just not a good time to be losing Democrats. <sighs> you haven't been in my office this morning. We'll get him back. Anyway, uh, Leo felt pretty strongly that we should light a fire under it, so I wrote up a pretty strongly worded release. This is like the fire we used to throw in the early primaries. Let Bartlett be Bartlett. You gotta put it away for a while. Sam, you understand this conversation isn't ruling out Bartlett as a candidate. It's a just what if. We're party strategists, it's what we're paid for. Yeah. Poins is the only one who put together the money this fast. He's the most successful fundraiser the party's ever had. Though, obviously, it'd be easier if Poins was running as an incumbent. Okay. Sam. Thanks. No, it was an nope. inappropriate... When I say okay, that's it. Close your notebooks. You don't talk like that here. I don't give a damn whose nephew you are. Tony, President Bartlett's not a candidate. He's the president. What's outside? About 1,200 troops now with A-15s positioned outside the gates. They've got 405-millimeter howitzers. Which you're trained at? Our front door. Mr. President, we want to send Fitzwallace down there. Why? There's a Haitian general named Francis St. Jacques. He trained with Fitz at Annapolis, and he's loyal to Dessus. Didn't you hear me calling you? No, sir, I didn't. I was... Uh, I didn't. Mr. Spence found this cigarette butt on the floor in the aisle of the chapel. People shouldn't put their cigarettes out in the chapel, Mr. Spence. Well, people shouldn't be smoking in the chapel, I think, is my point, Jed. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yes, sir. Could you tell your friends, please? Yeah. Jed, hang on. I want you to meet someone. She's going to be taking over in my office for Mrs. Tillinghouse. Excuse me. This is Dolores Landingham. Mrs. Landingham, this is my eldest son, Jeb. Basically, we think we can get St. Jacques to fracture Bazan's army. So if we invade... It becomes peacekeeping. Okay, send Fitzwallace down. Seriously, I complained that one time because I don't know I was in a bad mood. This isn't about seating arrangements. Notebooks, no tape recorders, the story's embargoed for an hour, and you'll identify me as a senior White House official. Charlie. Yes, sir. Do you have any idea why the door to the portico keeps swinging open? It's a little annoying. They're replacing the latch. It's swinging open from the wind. But the door opens out. When the right sequence of doors are open in the building, there's a wind tunnel into the Oval Office. No kidding. What about Europe and Japan? Well, Japan's going to be up and trading by the time we go on TV. Charlie says there's a wind tunnel created by something. They're fixing the latch. Mr. President? Yeah. Is the motorcade ready? Yes, sir. Well, we've got to go. I don't know what to say. Leo's pretty rich. Maybe you can buy some tech stocks and jack up the price. <laughs> I guess there's a little bit of humor there in the way Bartlett's being just slightly flippant about the whole uh, impending stock market going to crash a little bit because of Bartlett's announcement. But um, 
it's it's also interesting to see the way that he had to more or less he's asking this question of Charlie about the door and everything because it's something that he would normally ask Dolores I think and um and it's something that Dolores probably would have just put his you know mind at ease with some kind of flippant comment or whatever so it probably doesn't help that fact either it also kind of sets up the whole ending where you know is that Dolores's ghost is it just in his head until you find out that it's just in his head um, but it, it's, it's, it's a nice way to kind of set that up as well, even though, uh, of course, Charlie does give Bartlett a perfectly sensible explanation. And of course it sets up Bartlett calling for Mrs. Lanningham to come and close the door, uh, as opposed to closing it himself later on in the episode. One minor nitpick that I have, uh, just about the story in general, and I understand why Sorkin did it. He did it so that he could have the drama of what happens in the cathedral in order to set up whether Bartlett is actually going to run or not, um, you know, to further embed that question in your mind. But I've never been to a funeral service that didn't happen at least the third day after the death. And we know from CJ's talk with the, with the press guy in the last episode that um, this of course, announcement is going to be day after tomorrow, which is just barely two days. I've never seen a funeral get turned around that fast. That doesn't mean it doesn't happen. Uh, I suppose it perfectly well could. And you could even say, well, Bartlett wanted to make sure this was ex- expedited simply because he wanted to make sure that he had this out of the way before he had to deal with the whole MS bomb dropping. So um, that's a possibility. Um, but I personally have just never been to a funeral that it wasn't at least the third day after a, uh, after a death, because usually you have a, a night of visitation and something like that. And you at least have to have one day of, of the body being processed and repaired or, or, or prepared, I guess I should say repaired. Uh, well, in some cases, I guess repaired in cases of accidents and things like that. Wow. I'm just really talking dark here. Um, anyway, it's just a minor nitpick. Uh, but I, it just felt like, uh, didn't quite align you know if he all he had to do was change one line and have cj say three days from now to the press guy in the last episode and then this wouldn't seem so odd to me personally uh is it odd i don't know let me know you still have 24 hours to send an email to sorkincast at gmail.com or you can tweet at sorkincast or you can call 314-669-1840 and leave a voicemail and as I mentioned uh, at the top, a lot of this episode is just about doom and gloom and it is everything getting worse and worse and worse. And all of the talk about the president uh, stepping down really had me just kind of as in the dumps and, and a little bit as angry as Sam. Uh, but I do like the thought that Sam has kind of taken into consideration that the president really maybe is not in the proper frame of mind to make this decision. And that's kind of demonstrated throughout this whole episode. Um, as, as you go along, you get that feeling that he doesn't really, he, he hasn't really come to his mind yet either. And the cathedral thing seems like such an extreme reaction, uh, as compared to, uh, the kind of measured thinker that we, we think of Bartlett as usually being. One thing that did happen that I didn't think, I don't think I picked up really until this time. And guys, you know, you can make fun of me. I I am slow. Sometimes I'm picking some of this stuff up. But the fact that Bartlett was playing with that cigarette while he was getting the briefing from Nancy. And then um, 
as was in the walk and talk is actually what followed that. Um, the, he put the cigarette back in his pocket. He never smoked it. He put it in his pocket. And I just now realized that he was already planning to smoke that cigarette in the cathedral, uh, in the national cathedral and put it out as an insult to God. Um, and, and, you know, the way that ties into this flashback and his whole memory of the first time he ever met Dolores Lanningham, kind of interesting that his dad, uh, has, uh, likes three, na- three syllable named assistants. You had Tillinghouse before, and now you have Landingham, three syllables each. Um, I don't know if Sorkin just liked the rhyme of that when he wrote it or, or what, but I found that kind of rhythmically interesting as well. Um, but at any rate, uh, the whole thing about Bartlett and, and the cigarette, uh, it just dawned on me this time, coupling it with the flashback and just the fact that he put it in his pocket, because I don't think I ever really caught him putting it back in his pocket, um, that he was planning on doing, creating this exact same scenario that in, introduced him to Dolores in the first place as his way to say goodbye and really essentially F you to God. Um, so I thought that that was absolutely brilliant when I saw it this time. I'm sure you guys, like I said, have caught that many times before. Um, so feel free to berate me if you wish. And I guess that's all that I really have for this clip. You know, the whole CJ Josh thing about the big tobacco and everything and, and CJ essentially saying, you know, after this comes out, even Haiti's going to be in the, in the leisure section more or less is what she tells Josh is a further explanation, which I didn't include in the clip. Um, everything just seems so doom and gloom right now. It's very hard. Um, when you start this episode, it's just like, it's not even intense gloom. It's just, just kind of like, Oh man, come on. You know, something good has got to come out of this. I guess in a way, uh, it's kind of that whole you catastrophe thing that like J.R.R. Tolkien likes to do where things get to such a bad point and then just out of the blue, some kind of little miracle happens. Um, so maybe that was the intent of, of Sorkin when he wrote this. Um, but it sure didn't make me feel very good for most of the episode other than seeing the Dolores flashbacks, which this actress who played the younger Dolores Lanningham really did a good job of, of capturing, um, the main actress's mannerisms, her tone, her rhythm of speech. I mean, she did an immaculate job of playing a younger version of Dolores Lanningham. I do have to give her credit for that. And with that, let's move on to clip two, where on his way to and during the course of Dolores Lanningham's funeral, the president remembers Dolores and her quest for pay equity back when they first met. I'm sorry? Why do you work here after classes? Can't imagine anyone in your family's on work study. No, I, I get free tuition, so, you know, I guess it's a good idea to give something back. Why do you call your father sir? Is this going to be a whole afternoon of questions? Well, actually, you've been talking for quite some time. I'm sorry. Am I boring you, Dolores? Mrs. Landingham, please. My father's the headmaster. Yeah, but before he was your headmaster, he was your father, right? I don't want to make the other guys feel uncomfortable. So you call him sir? Yeah. You know, they released the girl from the hospital this morning. The driver? Yeah. It looks like they're going to charge her with vehicular manslaughter. Consensus seems to be that if you step back and put your support behind Hoynes, it's a decent chance Democrats will keep the White House. world of rest easier. I am the resurrection and I am life, says the Lord. 
Whoever believes in me shall live, even though he die. God of mercy, you are the hope of sinners, the joy of saints. We pray for our sister Dolores, whose body we honor with Christian burial. You have a habit of doing that, you know. What's that? Tell me I'm doing something wrong before I've had a chance to do it at all. Well, that must be a little annoying. Yeah? I got a project for you. Really? You can show the courage and the intellect and the leadership skills everyone talks about. I'm a little busy right now hosing down the boats. You know the women who work at this school are paid less money than the men? Sorry? The women are paid less money than the men. No, I didn't know that. You think your father does? First reading will be from Mr. Charles Young from the Book of Wisdom, Chapter 3. You've been raising this issue for a week now. I can tell it's had quite an effect on you. Don't you have a husband? What does that have to do with anything? I'm saying, shouldn't you maybe go home when you're done with work? Shouldn't you be minding your own business? I just thought since you're minding everybody else's, you now, know. What is that supposed to mean? In my family, we don't talk about money. That's because you have money. Numbers, Mrs. Landingham. Excuse me? If you want to convince me of something, show me numbers. But the souls of the virtuous are in the hands of God. No torment shall ever touch them. I've got numbers. There's something abnormal about you. Florence Chadwick in the English department's been here 13 years. She makes $5,900 a year. Mr. Hopkins in the English department's been here four years fewer and makes $7,100. Is this really the best time for this? You don't seem to be going anywhere. Why do you talk to me like this? Because you never had a big sister and you need one. Look at you. You're a boy king. You're a foot smarter than the smartest kids in the class. You're blessed with inspiration. You must know this by now. You must have sensed it. Look, if you think we're wrong, if you think Mr. Hopkins should honestly get paid more than Mrs. Chadwick, then I respect that. But if you think we're right and you won't speak up because you can't be bothered, then God, Jed, I don't even want to know you. Come inside. I'll call Triple A. Miss Mueller gets half as much to teach music as Mr. Ryan gets to coach crew. You're gonna do it. Oh, I didn't say that. Yes, you did. When? Just then. You stuck your hands in your pockets, you looked away and smiled. That means you made up your mind. That doesn't mean anything. Oh, yes, it does. I, I stuck my hands in my pockets. And looked away and smiled. We're in. Here's the one thing that you really have to love about this is in the course of the flashbacks where he calls Mrs. Lanningham Dolores and she corrects him to say, Mrs. Lanningham, please. And you have to suspect that after this moment, he never, ever called her Dolores again, uh, more or less. He just basically um, for the rest of his life or rest of her life, she was always Mrs. Lanningham to him. And and that's such a great sign of, of his respect uh, that he, that she obviously uh, got from him when he was younger, that he, he finally placed himself uh, respecting her quite a bit. And I also love that we, we can almost see that while, you know, his own father is obviously beating him down, even in the first clip, you know, it's like he's correcting him about, you know, somebody shouldn't be smoking in the chapel at all, which is true. But uh, you have to think uh, as a result of this episode, you have to wonder if it wasn't Jed himself that had done that. 
um, at, at the same time, um, while his father is kind of browbeating him and then literally beating him later on, uh, Dolores was the one who inspired him to be better, to rise above all of it, to lead and, and maybe even made him aware of, of many issues or even changed his uh, political thinking in some ways. So that kind of influence helps you understand what a traumatic loss this is for Bartlett. Plus, there's so many lines in these flashbacks that point to later on in the episode as well. You know, again, that's the way that uh, motives are used, little line motives. Sorkin's great at those. Um, Motives are little pieces of music that, that create thematic phrasing throughout the course of a piece of music. And Sorkin approaches his dialogue in the same way. Give me the numbers. Respect that. You know, uh, God, Jed, I don't even want to know you. Um, it's all a big tip off to, to the last shot with him and Dolores at the end in the oval. And of course, the whole hands in the pockets thing and turn your head and smile, which is, of course, what we see him do at the end. And she had said, you're going to do it. So that, uh, in a sense, tells you exactly what he's going to do at the end of this episode. There's no need to uh, even think about whether he's going to run or not. Of course he's going to run because Mrs. Lanningham had already pointed out in these flashbacks that once he had done that, that he had made his mind up to do it. And to do it in the case of the end would be, of course, to run. Now, uh, the rest of the cathedral stuff is just so stunning visually. You can't really get that in an audio podcast. Um, but it, it was just amazing. And uh, the one thing you can get from the podcast is the amount of, of reverb on all of the voices as they speak and the way it rings off of the walls in the cathedral itself. That was just absolutely amazing. Um, I, and again, I will say this actress that plays Dolores, younger Dolores Lanningham, just amazing. Uh, you would think it was the same person. You absolutely would think it was the, the same person. Um, the younger version of Jed, I'm not quite as convinced. Um, I hate to say that, but uh, I mean, he seems okay, but he, he, he didn't do a bad job or anything, but he just doesn't. I, I don't know if he quite captured the spirit of, of Jed. Um, the same way that um, this actress captured Dolores. I'm just totally in love uh, with that performance. Um, it was just like, again, like it was the same person. And I guess with that, we should move on to clip three, where after the service, the president calls out God in the sealed cathedral, and the staff waits for an answer on whether the president will run again, and they get one. I thought it was a beautiful service. Leo, would you do me a favor? Yeah. Would you ask the agents to seal the cathedral for a minute? You're a son of a bitch, you know that? She bought her first new car and you hit her with a drunk driver. What? Is that supposed to be funny? You can't conceive, nor can I, of the appalling strangeness the mercy of God, says Graham Green. I don't know whose ass he was kissing there, because I think you're just vindictive. What was Josh Lyman? A warning shot? That was my son. 
What did I ever do to yours but praise his glory and praise his name? There's a tropical storm that's gaining speed and power. They say we haven't had a storm this bad since you took out that tender ship of mine in the North Atlantic last year. 68 crew. You know what a tender ship does? Fixes the other ships. Doesn't even carry guns. Just goes around, fixes the other ships, and delivers the mail. That's all it can do. Gracias, Tibiago Domine. Yes, I lied. It was a sin. I've committed many sins. Have I displeased you, you feckless thug? 3.8 million new jobs. That wasn't good. <laughs> Bailed out Mexico. Increased foreign trade. 30 million new acres of land for conservation. Put Mendoza on the bench. We're not fighting a war. I've raised three children. That's not enough to buy me out of the doghouse. Hey, Kratom, Adeo Pio. Adeo Justo. Adeo Shito. Cuciatos in Crucha. Tuis in terra servos nuntias fui. Officium perfecce. Cuciatos in Crucha. Eas in Crucha. You get Hines. Cancer A is you bet. I will absolutely be seeking a second term. I'm looking forward to the campaign. There is great work that is yet to be done. Yes. Answer B. Are you out of your mind? I can't possibly win re-election. I lied about a degenerative illness. I'm the target of a grand jury investigation, and Congress is about to take me out to lunch. I'd sooner have my family take their clothes off and dance the Tarantella on the Truman balcony than go through a campaign with this around my neck. You think that's too on the nose? I do. I want to bring it up again. Why? Because I got shouted down the first three times, and I work here just like you do. Can I help you? I think we have to explore ways of calling this off. Sam. I think it might be a mistake to send him on at a moment when we're trying to demonstrate... Listen, that. We don't know what the hell they're talking about in there, Toby. We don't know whether he's running or not. I think we have there to There are have... no ways. The story's leaked. It's out there. We're doing this. Don't worry. It's going to be fine. They're lighting him from outside the window. Toby. I have a meeting, believe it or not, with Greg Summerhays for reasons passing understanding. Josh, can this really be how it works? We have no idea if he's going to run again. He's in a room with Leo making a decision. Two people in a matter of minutes. This is how it works. It's how it works today. Josh Lyman, it's Leo. It's answer B. Before I get into the uh, the cathedral stuff, which is just so, so powerful, I, I just want to kind of examine how desperate everyone is in terms of, of what the president is going to do. And I almost kind of have this sneaking suspicion that Toby already knows, and he's kind of resigned himself. No matter how much he, he wishes the president would fight back, um, I think he feels like um, that being the pessimist that he often is, even though he's an idealist, he is a pessimist, um, that he already feels like he, he knows what the answer is going to be. Um, and the whole lighting them from outside the window, of course, with a thing about preparing uh, for the interview earlier, uh, which was cut out of the clip. But 
Um, and then, of course, this meeting with Greg Summerhays, which I won't include in the clips either because it's just simply Toby turning the guy down. I will get the result of that with him and Leo uh, in a later clip, though. At any rate, I uh, I just really feel like as angry as Sam is, as um, pragmatic as CJ is, as <laughs> so over-the-top buffoonish as Josh is. I mean, that is one funny moment, the way he describes what answer B is. But it's just, it's still... Um, you know, the fact that it, CJ even says it may be a little too on the nose is really disconcerting. Um, and this staff is just essentially just hanging on to to what the possibility of their own futures are and really desperate, I think, because of the amount of work that they have been doing, you know, and the fact that their chance to do that work and to continue to do that work might be over. And even Donna, um you know, just being uh, Donna and talking to Josh about, you know, is this how this works? And, um, you know, it's just two guys in a room. And uh, Josh is like, that's how it works today. Even he has resigned himself at that point. And then, of course, they get the answer that it's answer B, which we heard really essentially at the end of the cathedral thing, which that's what I'll hit next. What a powerful scene. I mean, this scene alone raises this episode up to a nine. You could have crap falling down all around this scene. Uh, this, the flashbacks could have been terrible. Um, the, the rest of the doom and gloom stuff could have been terrible. But this scene by itself gives this episode at least a nine. They're, this, it's one of the best pieces of acting I know I've ever seen Martin Sheen do that's for sure. And of course, if you read interviews with him about doing this scene or even, uh, watch, uh, DVD stuff, uh, with the season two, you realize that he was very, very, very uncomfortable doing this. And I don't know if that's a result of his own religion or, or whatever, but he really had a hard time doing this. And I, I think that additional struggle kind of came through in his performance and, and made it even that much more impactful. Plus there are shots, which of course you can't get in an audio clip, but there are shots of him when he's walking towards the altar where, you know, this room seems so huge when it was full of people with Dolores's casket and, and, and everybody there, the, the, the cathedral itself seems so huge, yet somehow, and it's not, you know, it's not a trick of camera, it's not a trick of anything, but it's just through Martin Sheen's performance of this, where Bartlett seems to be almost as big to me. Um, it's, it's like he starts being small, and the closer he gets, it's like his own presence within the cathedral grows. He starts to fill the cathedral with his own presence and, it, and it's just absolutely amazing now i'm certain that many of you hardcore fans ha have looked up the translation of all the latin that the president says in the church uh, just in case you haven't um here, here, here's some of the translation it's like am i to believe these are the acts of a loving god a just god a wise god to hell with your punishments I was your servant here on earth and I spread your word and I did your work to hell with your punishments to hell with you. 
I mean, that was so disturbing and emotional. And imagine if you're an actor and you're in the National Cathedral where this actually was filmed and, and you're having to say these words. You know, and, and of course, when he lights a cigarette and everything, that's where I realized that he, he you know, he, he just everything seemed so well put together. I started my life with Dolores by uh, about a cigarette being put out in a cathedral or in a chapel. And I'm going to end it at a, on a much bigger scale because you took away everything that I've done um, with this. This was the last straw. And so I am done with you. I mean, it was just an amazing performance. I know I keep saying that word many, many times. I don't know how else to describe it. It was uh, uh, one of the most monumental pieces of network television ever done, in my opinion. So uh, I'm going to get all emotional if I don't move on to clip four. So let's just go on to that, where in the wake of the interview revealing to the public about the MS and in preparing for the press conference, Leo and Toby talk about Toby's meeting with Greg Summerhays. The president gets a briefing from Donna about tropical storms. He remembers one last thing about his father and then gets some press advice from CJ. And finally, when the door out to the portico flies open yet again, he gets a scolding from his past. With the president and first lady having just concluded the interview, President Bartlett is expected to be arriving at the State Department for a press conference. Typically, a press conference, particularly of this size, would be held in the East Room of the White House, but we're told there are some repairs going on there, and so the change of venue. They're going to run this clip forever. No, we're about to give them clips to beat it. Leo, you got me a lifeboat? Greg Summerhays. Yeah. Yeah. Got you a lifeboat. Did you imagine that there were any circumstances under which I would use it? No. And why? To show him that. Good evening, sir. How are you? Fine, thank you, sir. We all thought you did very well. That was the easy part. It didn't look that easy. Talk about the weather. A tropical storm is a cyclone in which the maximum sustained surface speed of the wind is 34 nautical miles per hour. And there's a tropical storm season, right? Yes, sir. It's June 1st to November 30th. Okay. And how many times, say, in the last hundred years, has a tropical storm come up the Atlantic seaboard to Washington in the middle of May? According to the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, it hasn't happened in the last century. At all? No, sir. You hide your ignorance, no one will hit you, and you'll never learn. Is this your quote? Dad, I wanted to mention something to you that maybe you weren't aware of regarding salary equity. Is this your quote? It's actually Ray Bradbury. And you quoted Ray Bradbury? Yes. In an article you and your friends wrote condemning Professor Loomis. For banning certain books from the library, yes. He's a professor of literature. He banned Henry Miller. He banned D.H. Lawrence. Jed. Giovanni's room because it's too homosexual. Stop it right now. You're a guest at this school. I'm a student at this school. Jed. He banned Fahrenheit 451, which is about banning books. Was that supposed to be funny? That wordplay that you just did there, was that meant to be well, funny? That was supposed to... The door keeps blowing open. Yes, but there's an intercom and you could use it to call me at my desk. I was... You don't know how to use the intercom. It's 
not that I don't know how to use it. It's just that I haven't learned yet. I have MS and I didn't tell anybody. So you're having a little bit of a day. You're gonna make jokes? Guy doesn't make cars crash and you know it. Stop using me as an excuse. Party's not gonna want me to run. Party will come back. You'll get him back. I got a secret for you, Mrs. Lanningham. I've never been the most popular guy in the Democratic Party. I've got a secret for you, Mr. President. Your father was a prick who could never get over the fact that he wasn't as smart as his brothers. Are you in a tough spot? Yes. Do I feel sorry for you? I do not. Why? Because there are people way worse off than you. Give me numbers. You give them to me. How about a child born in this minute has a one in five chance of being born into poverty? What's the number one cause of death for black men under 35? Homicide. How many Americans are behind bars? Three million. How many Americans are drug addicts? Five million. And one in five kids in poverty? That's 13 million American children. Three and a half million kids go to schools that are literally falling apart. We need 127 billion in school construction. We need it today. To say nothing of 53 people trapped in an embassy. Yes. So... I, I know this seems like a weird place to start, but real quickly, just so we can get out of the way, this whole bit about Leo and Toby. I love that. This demonstrates that Leo still believes the president is going to run, for one thing. And he wants to show this Greg Summerhays that. But it's not just that. It is the fact that Leo has gone to bat for Toby since day one. I mean, we saw in those flashbacks... Uh, at the beginning of the season in the two gunman episodes where, you know, Leo fired everybody else and kept Toby and Leo and Toby had formed this new reelect the president commission by themselves and have been quietly orchestrating all of this until they have come down to this where it comes down to a decision from the president finally. And because they've been through so much, Leo is kind of like, you know what, Toby, I didn't really think you would do this, but I wanted to give you the chance to do this just in case. And of course, Leo has no idea what's going on with Dolores Lanningham in Bartlett's mind uh, at the time. It was so remarkable to see Dolores come in. And of course, it was just in Bartlett's mind. And he was, they have that one shot where he's just talking to an empty chair. And so you know that, but it's still, you know, it almost seemed magical just for a moment, the fact that he called her out and then nothing happened. And then she walked through the door. But, you know, you got this whole perfect storm thing again, the whole metaphor of, of all of these terrible things happening all at once. Um, and Donna encapsulating it, it, it like it's never happened before, more or less. Uh, and, and Bartlett wanting to go there with his, you know, with the information. Uh, which even makes his decision to, to go ahead and go through with running that we find out at the end of the episode even more resolute, uh, even more, uh, you appreciate it even more because he's going against circumstances that have never been faced by anybody before. And you have to love that. Now, I mentioned it in the clip introduction, but I didn't actually include it in the clip. And that was CJ's lifeline to the president regarding the uh, scientific reporter 
that uh, that was his way to buy himself some time to ease into the press conference. And the fact that he chooses to absolutely not go there at the end, of course, um, tells you exactly what he's going to decide as well. Um, but all of those things from the flashbacks, give me the numbers, um, all of that uh, comes back uh, in this part of the clip. And, and we'll conclude the, that conversation in the in the next clip as well. But I love how all of that comes up. Um, and it was something that I didn't even throw into really into anything. You heard it in the press release of the clip, but, um, the fact that there's asbestos in the East room, you know, just one more thing to make things that much more difficult, um, for this, this whole strategy of revealing about the MS was very, uh, you know, just that last little pin in the coffin so to speak it was just one of those things where because they couldn't uh, have the the uh, press conference in the east room or they couldn't they had to have the press conference uh, somewhere else because they couldn't have the press conference in the east room all of that was simply magnificent um now as for bartlett and his dad um sorkin likes to have his characters have daddy issues that's one of the things that um he always has done um even post west wing i i think if you look even at like a few good men you see that tom cruise's character has a little bit of a daddy issue going on you see of course here that bartlett has this daddy issue going on you see that uh will mcavoy in newsroom has a daddy issue going on i don't recall for sports night if that was the same case but it, that that's one of those things that I, I i mean i don't know if sorkin had his own daddy issues or what but he seems to throw it into his main characters uh quite often just thought i'd point that out uh, as far as his father uh browbeating him uh literally uh, actually just literally hitting him um i loved how dolores put it in the context um, doesn't excuse it, but it does explain it. And also how that points to the fact that Bartlett's brilliance uh, is somewhat genetic. He, you know, his dad was never as smart as his, as his uncles, evidently. So um, even though uh, maybe the gene didn't hit daddy, it did pass on down to the son. So that was pretty interesting information to find out about Bartlett himself as well. And Again, that mind battle within him to, about whether to, to stand up and say that he will run again or let everyone who is telling him to quit beat him down. You know, it, it becomes, you know, his past with Dolores against his past with his father and it's being played out in, almost in the exact same way right here, right now in the present day. Uh, and we'll get to the rest of uh, the nice little uh, things from the flashbacks that pop up into the clip, um, into the next clip, as Dolores and Bartlett continue their conversation, and then he goes to the press conference. Ignoring CJ's advice, he faces the question of running again, with his hands in his pockets, looking away and smiling. You know, if you don't want to run again, I respect that. But if you don't run because you think it's going to be too hard or you think you're going to lose, well, God, Jed, I don't even want to know you. And he'll be speaking to that just as soon as he gets here. Uh, Frank, Ben Leslie. 
I can't comment on a witness list that doesn't exist, but I imagine subpoenas will be issued to most senior White House staff, including myself. Again, I can't comment on what kind of hearings Congress has in mind. I'm sure there'll be one, but you'd have to talk to Congress. Okay, here now, the President of the United States. Front row on your right. Yes, Sandy. Mr. President, can you tell us right now if you'll be seeking a second term? I'm sorry. Sandy, there was a bit of noise there. Could you repeat the question? Can you tell us right now if you'll be seeking a second term? And I apologize, you know, for cutting up the song. I I, I love Dire Straits too, but I, it just it didn't seem worth doing a, a six minute clip where all you were going to hear was the song being looped badly in some places. But n- nonetheless, you uh, the the visuals in this are what are really big, and of course that's why there was just a lot of just music and and very little dialogue other than CJ answering some press questions. Uh, which made it difficult to, to really put this into any kind of powerful clip as power anywhere near as powerful as it was, of course, when you watch the television show. Uh, of course, you do get Dolores's last uh, lines there about the whole, I can respect that, uh, but don't even want to know you. You know, it's, it's, she was his big sister. I, I, I love the fact that um, in the earlier flashbacks, Dolores had said, you've never had a big sister and you need one. And in his mind, she was that one last time for him and, and goaded him into more or less um, figuring out who he really was in that moment. This is the moment that defines Bartlett, maybe more so than any other moment in the whole series. And for me, it, it's just absolutely fantastic and inspiring and um, just beautiful television of course, you, you had uh, the, the last part of it where he put his hands in his pockets and turned and smiled and everything. And I love that Leo knew Bartlett well enough to know that as well. Um, that's something that's remarkable, too, when he says, watch this. Of course, uh, Bartlett was going to run again. He knew in that instant. Although I don't I think out of all of the people, Leo was the one who maintained throughout the episode that, uh, you know, that he might change his mind, that he might actually uh, run. And and so that's great that Leo knew Bartlett as well, that he would talk himself through this. But getting up to that point, you know, Bartlett going out into the rain, it's kind of a baptism of sorts after he had, uh, you know, been done with God. He is reborn through this uh just this baptism of of the storm itself and that was such an amazing visual moment and one of the things that touched me so much uh about this sequence was it wasn't really about Bartlett at all it was about Charlie because Charlie came out with this coat 
you know, Bartlett refused the coat and, and Charlie had his coat on at the time, but Bartlett just walks out into the, out of the oval and, and into the, the main quarters of the West wing soaking wet and, and just starting to walk. And as Charlie is, is leaving that part of the office, he puts his coat down too. And then you have these visuals of Bartlett getting out in the pouring rain. Everybody else has umbrellas, has coats, has all of this stuff. And the rain is just hitting them down in, you know, so metaphoric of, of taking shelter from this storm of the MS. Whereas Bartlett is just flat out embracing it. And Charlie is right there with them. That speaks to their relationship almost as much as the shibboleth and the, the moment in, um, bad moon rising where, uh, Bartlett is is like a father to Charlie, telling him not to lie. I, I all of that just really hit me very hard. It, it's an extremely powerful episode, and I, I hope that you all loved it as much as I did. Again, it's not my exact favorite, but uh, I will uh, get to that in my rating, which is next. Okay. Well, as I said before, that cathedral scene has to put this episode up in the nine alone. Um, I, I know that one of my stipulations about being in the nines is it has to be something that you would put a new viewer into in order to get into this, get them into the series. But I, I honestly believe that even if you didn't have any context for what Bartlett was talking about there, that scene alone would make you intrigued enough to want to go back and watch everything to see what leads up to that. So it that easily gets into the nine, but this was also beautifully put together in terms of of, of metaphor and, and and literal reiterations between the flashbacks and and the present. And even if you really don't have any idea what's going on with these characters at all, I mean the power of the writing in this episode, and of course the acting in this episode, has to bring it up to a, a nine point seven for me. Again, it's probably not my favorite episode of the series or even the season to be perfectly honest, but it's a really really strong episode amongst a season of super super strong episodes. So, I I really enjoyed it um even though it it's so depressing at the beginning. Um the Dolores flashback stuff helped keep it in balance enough until you get uh, to to this triumphant ending here. And uh, that, that that was a, a beautiful piece of, of, of work done by everyone involved. So wonderful, wonderful episode. And that concludes season two of The West Wing, folks. Can you believe it? We made it through. And it is right now, release date of this is July 10th. You have until July 12th to get in any thoughts that you have about season two of The West Wing you can contact the podcast, of course, by email or by calling the listener line, 314-669-1840, or by tweeting at SorkinCast. And uh, all of that information will be in the end bumper as well. Thank you so much for joining me for this season of The West Wing. I do have to say, uh, also, don't forget to submit your uh, West Wing Season 2 awards, if you can get them into me in the next 24 hours or so. Uh, favorite and least favorite episode, favorite and least favorite scene, favorite and least favorite guest star, favorite and least favorite 
main character for season two. And we'll just uh, we'll go with that. Uh, normally, I don't. I wait until the feedback uh, podcast to release what we're going to be covering next. And as it turns out, uh, because John and I recorded after I'd closed the poll on Mother's Day, we started talking about it and just decided to include that information in the podcast we recorded. And uh, we're going to be covering season one of the newsroom next. Now, I have to do a little bit of a different format to cover newsroom. So there, there will be a difference in the way we cover the episodes, unfortunately, if you really like this format. But uh, we will cover it, and we'll have good discussions about it nonetheless. And I guess that's it. We'll see. I can't wait to hear your thoughts and to record them this week after I get them. Again, July 12th. And we'll see you next week for the Feedback Podcast. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Find all of the back episodes, links, and more information at sorkincast.wordpress.com. Leave the podcast a written review at our iTunes or Stitcher store pages. To submit feedback, send emails to sorkincast at gmail.com or call 314-669-1840. The Sorkin cast is a member of the Rewatching Good TV network.